Hebrews 11 verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. I'm reading out of the NASB. He obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He left in his day the most sophisticated, modern city in the known world. He left everything. And he went out because he sensed in his heart there's got to be more. This is not what life's about. I know there's more, and I know God's calling me to more. And my prayer is that there are people here today that say, God, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. This, 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 this can't be all it's about. If this is the total expression of Christianity in our city, it's like, I need a rewire. And Abraham felt this pull of God to leave behind everything that you and I would say, why would you leave that behind? He had a car, he had a fancy wife, he had all the trimmings, education, he had the best street in the, in the suburb, and, and he felt this pull to go away. I've, I've laid in bed at night and dreamed about Abraham. Think about that. He's explaining to his father-in-law, I'm about to take your daughter and our fa No, he had no family, but daughter and, and, and all, the, all the associated household around me. We're about to leave and we, we can't give you a forwarding address because we don't know where we're going. I've got a tent, I've got a donkey, and I've got your daughter and I'm out of here. You, you can imagine that the farewell party was like, you're doing what? And it's often like us, we, we sense this pull of God. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what it is, but we just know that God's saying, there's more for you. And by faith, he lived like an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Abraham began to see way into the future, into our day. And he was living in a tent. A man out of time, a forerunner. He was seeing right into the future where it seemed like in his day there was no hope that the kingdom of God could be expressed in its fullness, that the garden could be restored, that God's plan for all the nations could be reestablished. It seemed hopeless. And Abraham, he leaves behind a generation of people that had no idea about God. They're trying to build a city from the earth to heaven in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. They're, they're focused on, on what they want, their agenda, their desires. They're building a monument to themselves on earth. That's the generation that he lives in. They are totally focused on themselves and what they can build. Abraham says, I don't want that lifestyle. I believe, God, that you've got something greater in mind than what I'm seeing now. So he leaves what he has and he begins to pursue God even though he doesn't know where he's going. I know I'm speaking to someone here, even if it's just to you, Dean. I'm sure there's plenty more. He dwelled in a tent with Isaac and Jacob, 
fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city. Say city. city. He's gone from a tent and now he's looking for a city. This city has foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's looking for a city that God had dreamt of. God had dreamt in his heart that there was a city. And God was committed to building this city. It's called the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's called God's mind for the nations. And Abraham began to see that. He's living in a tent because he's leaving behind the mindset of this world and he's dwelling in this foreign land like an alien, like a man out of time. And he begins to see into the spirit what God has for this day and age. I don't know about you, but I think that's profound. That one man and one woman could stand out against all of the generations, everyone around them and say, that's not what God wants. So you, don't, you need to understand that your decision to pursue the heart of God doesn't just affect you, but it will begin to shape the generations to come. Your desire to say no to your own self-centeredness and your own pain and begin to look to God and pursue His heart and His purpose has profound impact on those that follow. It does make a difference. Abraham and Sarah leaving their household and pursuing God made all the difference. For Abraham was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. So by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life because she considered him faithful who had promised. Here's the deal. When God puts his desires and plans in your heart, even though it looks impossible, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. When you tap into the desires of God's heart, he will move as it were heaven and hell to make it come to pass. God is committed to his desires for you. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. See, that tells me today that it only takes one person committed to the purposes of God, totally sold out to his desire to change the world. One man and him as good as dead. What's your excuse? God gave him many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the sea. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but they saw them and they welcomed them from afar. So Abraham, he didn't get to see our day. He didn't get to see the kingdom come in its fullness. We've talked for the last two weeks about what it means for the kingdom of God to come to earth. And if you haven't been here, get the go back to YouTube and watch those. So you've got a, a premise for what I'm saying today. But they saw them from afar. They welcomed them and they confessed, we are strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things, make it clear they are seeking a country of their own. And if indeed, if they'd been thinking of the country which they had left, they would have opportunity to return. But listen, but as it is, they desire. Say desire. Say it loud. Desire. Do you know what the word desire means? 
It means of the Father. They desire a better country. God's put in their heart a deep desire. See, that's what I'm saying to you today is that there is something in the heart of the Father that God wants to plan in you. It's called desire of the Father. His heart, His dreams, His plans. The Bible says that He will give you the desires of your heart. What's everything you pray for, those things that you desire. And see, when we align our prayer, our, our passion with His desire, the reason that He created us, everything starts to come into alignment. If your prayers aren't working, if your life is out of order, if it doesn't seem to be alignment, can I suggest to you that maybe you haven't tapped into desire? And it says here, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. I want to say to you today that God's prepared a city for this day and age. It's called a heavenly city. It's called heaven on earth. It's called His mind, His dream for this hour. I come against, in Jesus' name, the rapture mindset or the escape mindset that says that everything's going to get worse we should just look after ourselves and wait for Jesus to come and rescue us. The plan of God, as you read from Genesis to Revelation, is that God is coming. He says, Arise and shine, the light has come, and the glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. It says that nations will come to the brightness of, of His light, that all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And people say, well, that's that's... That's after. That's, that's after Jesus comes back. There's no faith in a statement like that. When Jesus declared that, when the Father declared that, He was prophesying, He was speaking into being, there is a generation that will rise up in great faith. That's why Jesus said, when I return, I will be looking for men and women of great faith who have said, we're going to occupy until you come. We're not going to escape. We're going to take your kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, and begin to see that established in every sector of society. We desire a better country, a city, God's city, God's plan. And he says that when you get into my plans, the city will be built not from earth to heaven, but from heaven to earth. You see, because the city begins in heaven. It's his design. He builds it. We enter in with him and we begin to hear his heart for the nations in heaven. As we worship him, as we pray, as we intercede, we grab a hold of the plans, the purposes. And as we do that, it then begins to be established on earth. See, the, the carnal ways we build on earth so we can reach heaven. God's ways, we hear what's happening in heaven and we build it on earth. In the new covenant, we're not supposed to be living in a tent. A lot of people have retreated back to the tent. Abraham lived in the tent because he left his city. He left all he knew, but he was looking forward to a greater city. It's called the New Covenant. He couldn't enter into that city because Jesus had not died. Many people today have retreated back to a defeated mindset. And God called Abraham out as a picture for you and I. He says, Abraham, look at the stars, look at the sand. That's what I'm about to do on planet Earth. And it's time for the church to get out of the tent. 
and begin to dream the dreams of God. Amen? Amen. Somebody give the Lord a hand. Come on, come on. And the one question that stops the church from dreaming is the question of the how. How, God? How could you change this nation? How could you change a city? How could you change my workplace? And God says, come out of your tent and look at the stars of the sky. That's me. That's what I'm able to do. I'm able to blow your mind. I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. I saw a study done this week. The guy's name was Dr. George Land. And he talked about the result of a creativity test that was developed for NASA. I don't know if you've seen this video. NASA had contacted Dr. George Land to develop this test to measure the creativity of their rocket scientists and their, their engineers. And they created this test, which was incredibly successful. So they can measure the creativity level of all those that came into NASA. After they finished this test, they were left with this question, where does creativity come from? So they gave this same test to 1,600 children between the ages of four to five. And so this test asked them to find innovative solutions to problems. Four to five-year-olds, how many do you think came back in this genius category? Innovative, trailblazers, creative. Out of all those kids aged four to five, what percentage of children were in this creative mold? Genius mold. 98%. They gave the same test five years later to those to kids aged 10. It had gone from 98% to 30%. The same test was done again to those aged 15. It had gone from 30% to 12%. They gave the same test again to adults at the age of 30, and the number had whittled down to 2%. There are two kinds of thinking in the brain. That One is divergent thinking, which is the imagination that we use to generate new possibilities. See, when you're in the womb, and before the womb, you've been in the mind of God. The God that says, look at the stars in the sky. The God that says all things are possible. I have a theory. It's only a theory. But I don't think we began in the womb. I think we've existed in the mind of God for eternity. And God takes us out of his mind. This is only a theory. So don't come to me and say, where did you find this? This is just the way I think. And there's nothing in Scripture that precludes this. But, but I think, because God doesn't do anything random, He just doesn't come up with things. We've always been in His heart. And when we're created in the womb, we are created out of the mind of the God who's filled with creativity and possibilities. We spend nine months in the womb. We are born filled with creative genius, filled with this desire to imagine great possibilities. And we're coming into a world where there's both what they call divergent thinking and convergent thinking. One's like an accelerator, one's like a brake. One, one is encouraging kids to 
dream big. And the other one's coming up with all the reasons why it won't work. And it's the same in church. We, we come in to the kingdom and God's wanting to expand our minds and cause us to dream big. And on the other side, the enemy's telling us all the reasons why it can't be done. We hear teaching that says, you know what? Things are just going to get worse and worse. It's too hard. The job's too big. The job's too hard. It can never change. And God called Abraham out of the tent and says, look at the stars. That's my world. Look at the sand. That's my world. This is the dream of Jesus. Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus came to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. And he said, guess what, guys? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and disciple all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And listen, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the dream of Jesus. Do you remember in John 16 that just before Jesus was crucified, he's in his last moment with his disciples. And he says, I've got so much stuff I want to tell you. But you can't bear it. You, can't, you, 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 you won't be able to understand it. I believe this is what he wanted to tell them. That I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to have all authority over all the works of the enemy. And I'm sending you to disciple the nations of the world. They would have laughed. They would have said, impossible. Look at us. We're fishermen. We could never do it. It's never going to happen. So Jesus waits until he's been resurrected. And he tells them the dream. They are now face to face with the only person who has ever defeated death and come back. What's he saying to them? I'm the God who makes all things possible. And I'm now, you've seen my hands, my flesh. You thought it was impossible. Even when you were told I was resurrected, you didn't believe it. But here I am. I am the one that was dead and now I'm alive. All of hell came against me and I defeated hell and I'm here right now victorious. Amen? And now you're ready to receive from me what's really on my heart, my dreams. Because in the past, if I had have told you what I dreamed for the world, you would have said to me, that could never happen. And so I've waited to do the greatest miracle that's ever been seen. I've defeated death. And now I'm saying to you, all things are possible and I have all authority over the works of the enemy. And now I'm sending my people to disciple nations. The disciples would have been incredibly reluctant to believe that. In fact, we know they didn't believe it. Peter. You may remember this story. He's preaching to Cornelius and his household. Acts 10, 42. He says, Jesus has commanded us, listen, to preach to the people 
and to testify that it's he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. Peter says, Jesus commanded me to preach to the people. That word people is the word laos. You know what it means? It means it's God's first people, the people that speak my language. He still didn't get it. Jesus did not command Peter just to preach to the Jews. He said, make disciples of all nations. Peter had reduced the scope of Jesus' dream. What Jesus had dreamt, Peter's now reducing. And isn't that the story of the church? What is in the heart of God we want to reduce to what we think is manageable, realistic in our life and time. And that's why God called Abraham out of the tent. He said, you are so familiar with your limitations. It was a picture for the body of Christ. Get out of your tent and begin to dream the dreams of God. And Peter's making excuses. Well, you know what? Jesus preached and, and you know, I, I, I can't figure out how it's all going to happen because we're really called to preach to the Jews. He's saying this to Cornelius, who's not a Jew. And so God has to interrupt and say, get out my way, Peter. Let me take over. Let me share what is really on my mind. And what does he do? He fills Cornelius and his household with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in tongues. And it says that Peter and all his cohort were gobsmacked that God would fill them with the Holy Ghost because it wasn't part of their agenda for the world. They had limited God to their own mind. And God said, move out the way. Let me show the world what is on my heart. And here's the deal. If you and I limit God to our little pea-brained mindset of what God can do in our life in the city, God will say, move out the way. Let there come through another generation that has a faith grid to believe that I can do all things. And I don't know about you, but I have a conviction in my heart that God will sideline, move out. He will love, but He will move out people that have no agenda for His heart. They want to constrict. They want to control. They want to dumb down what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm here to say it's much more than just getting born again. I wrote about that in the Gospel according to Noah. There are three levels of the ark. The first level is about the revelation that you're a son of God, a daughter of God, forgiven, saved, cleansed, made righteous. You have access into the throne of God without any fear or condemnation. The second level is where God begins to heal our heart. The Father's love. He heals our pain. He gives us a grid so we have the mind of Christ so we can begin to think the thoughts of God. Because God wants to share His dream with us. But if we don't understand the language of the heart of the Father, we can never receive His dream. The third level is where we begin to experience partnership with the Holy Spirit, where He says, you know what? Come and run with me. Song of Solomon is all about this. Where, where the bride and the groom, there's an invitation to run on the mountains. She wants to stay in her bed. She wants to stay with her lover and eat apples. And it's all beautiful. See, this is not just a parable about a man and a woman, a wife and a husband. This is a picture of the body of Christ and Jesus. He's wooing the body of Christ out of their luxurious bed and saying, I've got mountains. And so what does he do? He allures her out to the wilderness 
He brings it out. So what's happening in the body of Christ? We are not seeing the miracles, the wonders, the things that we so desire. We feel like everything's dried up. If we're honest with ourselves, we're saying, God, what are you doing in the body? He's drawing us out into the wilderness because he's saying, I'm not about to bless the body of Christ while it stays in its bed and waits for me to rescue them. I'm going to allure you out until you begin to get disturbed and say, God, are you real anymore? Are you the miracle worker anymore? And he says, I am, but I'm going to perform miracles in the mountains, not in your bed. So you've got to get out. You've got to begin to get my dream, my desire, desire of the Father. As we begin to pray, we begin to say, Lord, what is on your heart? What is it that you want to bless in this hour? I don't want to miss that. I don't want to be in the wrong, the wrong, the wrong journey, the wrong, the wrong road for my life. Asking God to bless something that He's not in. God is not under any obligation to bless your desires. Really? Yeah, really. Does it mean He doesn't want to bless you? Doesn't? No, not of course. As I said before, Hannah, she followed His desire. And the law of the kingdom is as you sow, you reap a hundredfold. As you say, Father, what's on your heart? He, he has a way of meeting all your needs and some. That's the goodness of our God. But we've got to align our heart with his heart. It took Paul 30 years in the book of Ephesians to begin to cotton on. Not took Paul, but it took the body of Christ through Paul 30 years from when Peter spoke to Cornelius. For it to be documented that the plan of God was bigger than just Israel. He began to talk about how God has called Jew and Gentile, the one in Christ. They're no longer aliens to the promise of God, but they've been called in. Those who are afar have been brought near. Paul begins to see the scope of God's heart for the nations. So in Matthew 28, Jesus says three things. He says, go, baptize, and teach. Go, say go, baptize, and teach. Go, baptize, and teach the nations. Moving opens the door for the Holy Spirit to move. We're here today. It's nice. The heat is on. People next to you, by and large, are nice people. At least in my row they are. I'm not sure down the back, but they're really nice up here. They're easy to get along with. But that's not what's on the heart of God. That's not the dream. This is not where the dream of Jesus ends. He says, go. Go this week into every aspect of the city. Go. Because I'm with you to the end of the age, but you've got to go. You've got to move. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to see Abraham had to leave what was comfortable to pursue what God had. God's asking many of you to take a risk, to take a step of obedience. Not just go randomly, but to listen to his voice, say, God, what is it you want me to do? Go. Matthew 13, 33 says, The kingdom of God is like leaven that's hidden in three measures of meal. As we begin to go, see, leaven is both a picture of sin, but it's also a picture of the teachings of Jesus. 
So if we say, Lord, we don't want to go out into a world because it's a dirty world. We don't want to get involved in government and business. It's dirty, you know. We don't want to go. We, we want to stay out. And Jesus is saying, no, go. Go. You See, it, you can either curse darkness from outside and it'll never change or you can go on the inside and bring light. He says, go. Bring, bring my teaching. And as you do that, there will be a 30, 60, and a 100-fold increase. Go, go. This is baptize. Baptize the nations. Immerse yourself in them and immerse them in the kingdom. Begin to love the city. See, when Jesus looked at Jerusalem, he wept. Jesus loves cities. So he says, baptize the city. So to baptize it's hard to baptize people. In fact, in, in the days of Jesus, when they baptized, both those who were being baptized and the one baptizing were both in the same river. They didn't do it with a big you know, stick. It came in. Baptize yourself in the, in, the, in the culture of the city. Baptize your heart. Don't curse it. Don't condemn it. Don't get angry at it. But come in and get a heart for the city. Cry over the city. Say, God, what do you see when you see the city? And then take the city and baptize it in the mind of Christ. Bring the values of the kingdom into our city. Go baptize and teach them. They say it takes three generations to change a nation or a city. It's interesting that in the tent was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the first generation, God raises up thinkers, theologians, and philosophers who begin to ask this question. God, what's on your mind? That's the first stage. Before we can do anything to change a city and nation, we've got to say, God, change the way we think. We've been reading the Bible for years, but we've been reading it through the wrong lens. And I say to people, if you read the Bible through the wrong lens, you'll find what you want. If you read the Bible and see God as a guy that's harsh, everything that you read will become harsh. It's like we're, we're turning the Bible to say something that it's not. So we get a lens to say, God, show us what you see when you see the nations. What's on your heart? The second generations are the artists, the actors, the musicians, the painters who begin to express the mind of God to the city. See, this has been done in the reverse. The enemy has come in. He's began to change the thinkers, those in university, the philosophers. He's began to adjust their mind. Then the painters, the musicians, the artists began to express the thoughts of the enemy on our nation. In the third generation, the professionals come, the lawyers, the business people, and they begin to take what's been sung about, painted about, and instigated in society. And the whole nation is changed. I'm here to say to you, I'm not saying it takes another three generations to change our nation, but there is a process where God's people begin to get a strategy to change the nations. The Great Commission requires two things. To the individual, it requires urgent preaching. So the preaching is this, you need to be born again. If you don't know Jesus, you need to be born again. Those listening on live stream, YouTube, if you've never received Jesus in your heart, you need to be born again. You need to surrender your life to Him. Why? Because to know God is to have life and life abundant. 
Whoever knows the Son has life. Whoever doesn't know the Son, you have no life, no eternal life in you, both on earth, but also in the life to come. If you don't know Jesus and you die, well, you, you will spend eternity in hell. Hell was not designed for man. It was designed for the devil and anyone else that has a heart of unbelief. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God's designed heaven for man and hell for the devil. Amen. Individuals require urgent preaching. God's going to bring people across your path this week that need to know Jesus. And He's given you a mouth. He's given you a heart. People need Jesus. He still is the answer. But for nations, so individuals require urgent preaching, but nations require strategic teaching, a strategy. And this is where we begin to lock into the dream of Jesus, both for individuals and nations. Lord, when you see our nation, what is the strategy to reach our nation? Abraham, get out of your tent. Look at the stars. I know you think it's impossible. I know you're surrounded by your lack, your barrenness. I know it's just you and Sarah, but come out of your tent. And this is what God's saying to you. Get out of your tent, out of your limitation, out of your small-mindedness, all of us, and begin to see what I see. I can take one man and bless him and make him many. I can turn Abraham's descendants into the stars of the sky. Who would have thought two old people living in a tent could make love, and as a result of that, you and I would be here today because we are of the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Who would have thought that possible? Two people could be God's plan to change the nations. And I say to you, there is no excuse because the greater one lives in you. You have the mind of Christ. There is no excuse. You can't go to get to heaven and say, God, but, 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 but. You'll say, Abraham, Sarah, barren, old. I blessed them. They, they, they responded to my call. They got out of the tent. They looked up and they said, Jesus, Father, I believe. It makes no sense. Everything's dead. But if you say this is on your heart, I choose to believe. And this is what I do when I look out my window of my house and I see across the vast suburbs and I see the lights at night. And, I, and these are the words I say to the Father. Father, I know it's on your heart to establish your kingdom in this city. I know that you have a plan where business and government and every sector of society would function according to your will, where injustice would be dealt with, where poverty would be dealt with, where families would be healed, where the arts would bring you glory. And Lord, I know that it seems like the enemy has come against us and tried to shut us down. But I've seen what you did in Esther and in Daniel and David and all the mighty men and women of Scripture, how it seemed like it was impossible and you made it possible. So I decree over this city that this city belongs to you. I believe that you are able to transform this city and this nation. I'm with you in this, Jesus. It's your dream. And all, if all I can do is say yes and amen, I give you my biggest yes and amen. I believe you will do it whether it's in my generation or the ones to come, I'm going to proclaim every single moment I get a chance that this is the dream of Jesus for His body. Amen.